teachers of the sacrificial system and are called sacroologists. A sacroologist is one who teaches this science, and those who engage in the study of the science are referred to as the learner of the sacrificial system, and they are called sacriticians. sacriticians. The sacriologist and the sacritician both thoroughly examines and explores the many aspects of the sacrificial system to teach and to apply the principles of this science to one's life and to help others to understand it as well. Sacrology is such a profound science of which we cannot fathom in, its present, in this present world nor in the world to come. While we commence with the study of this science in this sphere of our existence, and once we've been redeemed in the earth made new, we will continue to engage in its study throughout eternity. In our eternal existence, we will continue to pursue, we will continue to peruse the science of redemption as we explore the love of Yah, our Heavenly Father, and His Son, Yeshua. Yah's love is an everlasting love, and it will take an eternity to both comprehend and understand it. Those of us who are redeemed will study the sacrificial death from eternity to eternity and never exhaust the theme of Yah's love. It is one of the eternal sciences which will occupy the mind of the redeemed throughout eternity. In the new world, the science of the sacrifice will be seen, will be seen the love of Yah as we have never experienced in this present life. Yah's love for his fallen and redeemed children will be viewed from angels, Will be, redoed, will be renewed or reviewed from angles our sinful nature cannot now appreciate or comprehend. The redeemed of the ages will ex exude with delight and joy of the new revelation they will uncover in the world made new of Yah's love to save his fallen family. Let us involve ourselves in this science on this side of eternity in anticipation of pursuing it once again in the eternal realm. Yes, this science to this science is so vast in its scope that its broadness cannot be comprehended, and it is so deep that its depth cannot be fathomed. May the appreciation of this subject become the theme and treasure of our life here. And once we've graduated from this earthly school to the heavenly and experience a new heaven and a new earth, we will continue to study the love as it is found in Yah's son, the lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Okay, now. With that introduction remarked, we want to turn to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we want to look at the 13th chapter, and we want to consider verse number 8. 
Revelation 13, 8 says this. It said, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So we see here, it says, Yeshua was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. So as we study the science of the sacrifice, when we consider the science of something, it has to do with the study of how something operates. The operation of something is determined by laws which are functional within that which we study. Interestingly, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, the word science, respectively, are found in our first text in the book of Daniel. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Well, just look up this word science. Uh, Daniel, and in the in the book of Daniel, we want to look at chapter number one, Daniel chapter one. And in in and in in that uh, first chapter of Daniel, we want to consider uh, verse number four, Daniel one four. Now notice what it says here. Here it says in the fourth verse of Daniel chapter one. It speaks about the children in whom was no blemish, talking about uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He said, but well-favored uh, uh, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, okay? I think this is one of the places in the Old Testament where the word science is being mentioned. Okay, now the word for science in this particular passage is mada. Mada, M-A-D-D-A, Mada. Okay. Now, when we turn into First Timothy, we want to look at First Timothy. And in First Timothy, we want to look at a verse. Uh, okay, First Timothy. We want to look at chapter six. First Timothy, chapter six. Okay. Now, here in First cha Timothy chapter 6, and we want to look at verse number 20, 620, okay? Now, here, the Apostle Paul, in speaking to uh, Timothy, he quotes this, okay, in 620. And he says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. That was a false science, but we want to be concerned with the true science. Now, this word for science in this particular passage is uh, called what we, we, we might say... Uh, Agnosis, okay. This is called gnosis, okay. You have mada, m a d d a, which is Hebrew for science, and the word for science in Greek is gnosis, g n o s i s, gnosis. Okay, so when we deal with mada and gnosis, they both carry the meanings of knowledge. That's what they mean, knowledge. When you deal with a science, you're dealing with knowledge. 
So when we deal with knowledge of whatever it is that we are concerned with, if we deal with biology, we are dealing with the knowledge of life. When we deal with psychology, we're dealing with the science of the mind. So when we talk about a science of the sacrifice, we are talking about sacrology, which is the knowledge of the sacrifice. Consequently, if we are studying the science of the sacrifice, then we would want to attain a knowledge about it. Let us pursue this science. Now, the science of the sacrifice is one of the greatest, if not the greatest science we can engage into. This science not only teaches us of the plan of self of redemption, but it also provides us with a practical understanding of how to apply the science of salvation to our life. This salvational science is what will redeem fallen man from the lowest state of degradation to the highest pinnacle of glorification. Let all who engage into the plan of redemption be thoroughly familiar with the science of the sacrifice. Such a study should take first priority in our homes, in our schools, in our churches or synagogues. Our minds must be occupied with the science if we expect to live with our Creator Redeemer eternally. This is the only science which can take us from this world to that of the next. Let this science be the first and foremost in our lives, for it is the only study that brings with it a better life here in our present state of existence and a superior life in tomorrow's eternal home. Everything in our current world is temporal, whereas that of the new world order is eternal. When our educational institutions, especially those which come up under the Christian education, embrace this science, we will see and realize many more conversions to the truth of Yah's covenant than we now experience. Let no Christian institution make void this rich treasure of truth, which once discovered will enrich the souls of all mankind. As we partake of this jewel, jewel, as we partake of these jewels of redemption, our souls will be beautified with the precious life of Yeshua's bride to be able to stand in the presence of our Heavenly Father. Those of us who embark upon this sacred search of, of the science of the sacrifice will become a sacrificial scientist. Such a scientist as this referred to as a person who study a person who studies the sacrifice of which we call sac which we call a sacroologist initially what we want to consider is where did the conception of a sacrificial system originate naturally it is understandable that yah himself conceived of such However, we would consider the fact, we must consider the fact that he conceived of it, that if he conceived of it, 
we have to also consider two basic fundamental questions. We will consider these two questions separately. Let us deal with our first question dealing with the sacrificial system. The first sacrificial question is, our first sacrificial question is, was Yah alone in the contemplation of this idea? If Yah was alone in the contemplation of a sacrificial system, then we must draw the conclusion that he thought up such an idea without the aid of anyone outside of he himself. So what we are to what we are proposing is this. Yah prior to the creation was all alone. There were no other beings in existence but he himself. And he thought about creating a world with creatures of all kinds and man like he himself. Moreover, in his contemplation, he also said that it is possible, he also said that it is possible that if my creation of man is interrupted by him disobeying me, then how shall he be dealt with? It is possible and logical that Yah said to himself, I need to have a plan drawn up whereby if man, if the man I create in my image and likeness breaks the covenant, I'll give to him a plan by which he can come back to me. With this in mind, he commits to lay out a salvational, a salvational plan for his, for his creation. In considering this first question of which being, which, uh, uh, of him being alone, in the contemplation of this plan, it would not be unreasonable for him to contemplate having someone to share this plan with. There would be at least two basic reasons why this would be necessary. So if he was to draw this plan, he's thinking to himself, I need to share this plan with someone. Why would that be? First, because he himself would like to have a family of his own. By him having a family, it would no doubt relieve him of his loneliness. Someone who could share his love and affection in a reciprocal manner. And secondly, he also needed someone to share his vision of redemption and creation. It would not be an unreasonable, it would not be unreasonable to think that he said to himself, I will have a son. And if I have a son, he could not only provide me a family and a companionship, but also to give his life a ransom for my human family if they go astray. Y'all also thought out that his son would have a free choice of whether he would be the ransom for man if he should stray from Yah's covenant, and his son would have the right to say yes or no to being a sacrifice for man. 
if his son was to be a sacrifice for mankind, Yah's will was that his son would have to offer himself as a free will offering without any coercion or on his part. It must only be a sacrifice of love without any selfish motive, only to please his father, but because of his love for the fallen human family. He must also himself, he must offer himself up for humankind out of a pure heart of love. Such was Yah's thinking and planning prior to the creation of this world. Now, let us consider our second question, which is the second sacrificial question. Okay, the first sacrificial question was, Elohim was in the universe all by himself, and he was thinking about the creation. And as he was thinking about the creation, he knew in his omnipotent mind what he wanted to do. He knew that. But he had to think up ways to deal with it because he knew when he made free mortal man, man may have a tendency to go straight from his, his will. So he wanted to make sure that he covered every base. So when he was alone, he thought up all of this. So the second uh, sacrificial question is, let us say that Yah was all alone at one time and he only communed with himself. Once having this all thought out and thought through, somewhere, somewhere back in eternity past, he decided to have a son. We don't know how far back in eternity that he had a son. We, we have no idea. But in order to be a father, he had to have a son. And in having a son, he was now able to share with him the plan of redemption along with the plan of bringing into being a universe. So while he was thinking by himself, when he did have a son, all of what he was thinking, he shared with his son. So when he made a universe, both he and his son would understand what would be needed in order to run a universe, even if the universe sinned. So when we look at this, what are we saying? We're saying basically the plan of redemption was not an afterthought. It was something that he thought up even before the creation of this world. And as, as he and his son shared his vision, they were able to embody a universe filled with worlds uh, populated with beings like they themselves. So as they look at those beings by themselves that they were going to create, they want to know also if they went astray how to redeem them. Moreover, if these beings should depart, what they were drawn, designed to do, if they went astray from what he designed these beings to do, Yah's son and he had already discussed and laid plans for any situation that would arise that would cause the human family to make a breach in the covenant they made with them. No doubt prior to making of the worlds to populate the universe, he had created his heavenly dwellings and his angels. Now let us turn to the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, we'll look at chapter 1 and verse 2. 
Now, here in, the, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, uh, it's, it says, well, let's read verse 1 to get a little background. It said, Elohim, who had sundry times, in other words, in different times, and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And verse 2 says, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So he made many worlds out there. The universe is filled with worlds. We are one world in the midst of many worlds that he has created. How many he created? We have no idea. But the Bible says he created worlds. So when he created those worlds, he had to have a backup plan that if anybody on any of those worlds would transgress, they would have a way of coming back to Elohim. Moreover, if these beings should depart from what they were designed to do, Yah's son and he had already made the way in which they can come back to him. Now, <clears throat> It was here in this angelic dwelling, Yah and his son were given praise and glory by their creator. They were given praise and glory by, by the angelic creatures, that is. So when, even before they made this world, heaven had a sanctuary and heaven had some appointed times when the created angels would come to praise Elohim. they gave to their creator and maker was in the heavenly sanctuary at the appointed times. Now, the heavenly sanctuary and the appointed time of worship, praise, and giving their creator thanks was a glorious moment of pure rejoicing and zealous ecstasy. In the plan of salvation, we were to do the same thing after sin entered into the world with the exception that we would now have to deal with the atonement process. So what he was doing in heaven, he made us on earth to do what the angels were doing in heaven. We would to do that on earth once he had created us. But once he created us and we were giving him the glory and the praise and sin came in, then that had to be added to our worship of praise and glory to our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father, as we study sacrology, the science of the sacrifice, that you would help us to absorb this science, that we may be able to see the redemption that you have for us, and as we apply this to our lives, that one day we can be a part of your great kingdom, is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Uh, so, um, Yah had created a plan of redemption for all the worlds he created, just in case mm. any of them fail. Right. Wow. Um, now, when Satan rebelled in heaven, was it before, during, or after this world was being created? 
I think it, from what from what I, I could understand, he was bef- he he's saying before this world was created. And I think one of the one of the problems was, I think he wanted to be a part of creating this 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 world, but he couldn't. Uh-huh. And so I think he sinned before for that, and then once the world was created, he came down to try to destroy it. Okay, so he sinned before um, the creation, and then like he said after that, he tried to come and destroy it. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not to say that other worlds had not already been created, but uh-huh. when he created this world, I don't, I don't, I think when he sinned in heaven, it was before this world was created. And then when Elohim created it and he was put out of heaven, mm-hmm. well, we can turn to the book of Revelation. Uh, let me see. In the book of Revelation chapter 12. Okay. Now in the book of Revelation chapter 12, in verse 9, it says, it says, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him okay now in the bible uh it goes on to say that let me see he was pointing out that when he was cast out of heaven he came down to this earth so when the devil was cast out, he came to this earth. Mm-hmm. And from this, I can deduce the fact that when he came to this, when he came to this earth, that the only two people you had on it was Adam and Eve. Okay. Yeah. So this makes me feel from the scripture point of view that he sinned before they he sinned before this, 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 our world was made. And so when he eventually was cast out of heaven and Elohim didn't take but a week to make the world. So then he came down here. He probably might've gone to other planets, uh, other worlds too, but they didn't let him in. Mm. And if we hadn't eaten, he probably wouldn't have got in here either, wow. but we ate. So they gave, that gave him his uh, exit into into our world because we succumb to what he wanted rather mm-hmm. than to follow what Elohim had given us to follow, and that's what happened uh, to get him in, into into this particular world. So yeah, I, I think it was before this world was created. Then after it was created, he came in and disrupted the whole scheme. So I just wonder if he wasn't able to um, break and tempt this planet and sin never entered, would he had been destroyed a lot sooner? Um, that may, that may have been a possibility. Because I mean, if he can, mm-hmm. he couldn't take any other world. Some, you know, what is there for him? Yeah, that's true. Either, think- either be destroyed or to return humbly. Yeah. Well, I don't think he could be taken back. I think once he was cast out, that was it. Because I think they tolerated him long enough up there. Uh-huh. And uh, I think the thing is, is that uh, when he, when he, you know, uh, after he had sinned and came here, and then uh, if 
if he if we had not yielded, mm-hmm. no doubt uh, Elohim could have let him stay for a while, and you know, cause the whole test was around the tree of knowledge of the good and evil. Yeah, and if they hadn't uh, eaten of that, they they would have passed the test. But we know that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was where uh, Satan uh, used the snake. In other words, it seemed like Elohim was saying, all right, my children are down there. I don't want you to follow them around trying to make them sin. Uh-huh. Now, that that's your spot. If, you, if they sin from your spot, then, you know, then you got it. Uh-huh. So... They went on his ground, and so when they got on his ground and she began to talk to him, then that was his ground, and if you yield to him on his ground, then he got you. But if you had talked to him on his ground and you knew he wasn't coming right and left him, that's the only place he could meet you. Mm. But now now that they have sinned Mm -hmm. uh, and eaten it, then he didn't follow them around. They got it from his ground. Wow. wow. And I think if they hadn't got on his ground, then Lord could have said, you know, you've been in this garden long enough and I've permitted you to be here for a while. Now you're not any longer going to even be by this tree. I'm, I'm going to get rid of you. Yeah. Wow. Oh, we have a question and it reads, why couldn't the blood of Yahusha cover the angels who were deceived into following Satan? Uh, I, I've thought about that question. Uh, I think one of the re- reasons why is that when he created the angels, the angels had a full knowledge of the laws of life, mm-hmm. and they knew the creator of life. They 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 knew that. Okay, now he he created the angels to be our servants and be his servants. Mm-hmm. And so when an angel uh, sinned, they could, they could repent. They could do that. But uh, the angels who didn't choose to repent after they was following the dragon or Satan in heaven, then when they sided with him, it didn't mean that they were lost, but when Elohim had shown them that in order to have life, you have to have a government. Mm-hmm. See, with the angels that had fallen from their first estate was, they felt that they didn't need a law. They said, we are angels. We got superior minds. We can think for ourselves. Now, I'm just, you know, paraphrasing it. Mm-hmm. And so... We, we 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 can we can we can do this and we don't we don't we don't need your law but if there's no law if there's no law that cannot be life because life is governed by law and they knew the laws so when they when they adamantly I'm gonna use a scripture in just a minute but I, let me put this over so when they adamantly said to Elohim you know we don't want to follow your law and we want to follow Satan. We want to do what we want to do. Now, any any society, you know, that does not have laws and ordinances, 
It's going to be anarchy. In other words, it's going to be confusion. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be destruction because where, the, where there is no laws, what can you expect? Mm. Because if you have no laws, like the Bible says of Satan, it says that he was a murderer from the beginning. How was he a murderer from the beginning? Well, he's a murderer from the beginning because murder is to uh, misuse your brother or misuse another angel. And moreover, it's to misuse Elohim. Mm. So, so that meant that if you didn't have no law, you can treat anybody any way you, that you want to. You can do anything that you want to. You can do to people anything you want if you have no law. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 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 what what are we looking at? Here's what we're looking at. The reason why they they don't have no one of the reasons why they don't have salvation is be, is because they knew what it was to come back to life. They knew that. So Elohim is saying, if if you don't want that, then you're lost. And mm-hmm. once they was cast out, it's no coming back. And I think one of my favorite authors that I read. She was pointing out the fact that he tried to get back in heaven, but but Elohim looked at him, and he said to him, I cannot let you back in here because you have not really changed. And once iniquity had taken over his 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 being, he would have he would have only got back in there to do the same thing he did when he left. Now let me let me read this here. Uh Genesis chapter three. Let me see. Uh, uh, no, Genesis chapter two. Okay. Now, now I want you to see the same covenant that he made with the angels is the same covenant that he made with the with with, with the human beings. Mm. But see, they had they had he made the plan of salvation for man. Now, another interesting thing is also that Elohim never made hell for human beings. He made it for angels. Mm. The wow. only reason why we would go to hell and burn is because of the fact that we're doing the same thing that Satan did, and we have to join him in in, in hell or Sheol where he intended for angels to be. That's the only reason we're there, because we're doing the same thing he did. Wow. Okay, now, now here in Genesis chapter, chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 15. Uh, not 15, but b- verse 16. Now, the Bible says, and Yah Elohim commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Okay, now, if you notice in verse 16, it said, Yah Elohim commanded the man. Now, when you give a command, you're talking about laws and you're talking about statues and stuff that he wants you to do. Mm-hmm. So he said to Adam and Eve, he said, now, if you don't, it, you do what I command by not eating of the tree that I told you not to eat of, but eat of the trees I told you to eat of, okay? Now, here's what I'm pointing out. What was he telling Adam and Eve? He was simply saying this, if you obey my command, because the Bible said he commanded the man. He said, if you obey my command, you're going to be blessed and what? live. But he, in that same covenant says, but if you do not obey my command, what's going to happen? You're going to be cursed and you will die. Now the angels knew this. Mm. They knew it. 
Adam and Eve didn't know it like they knew it. <laughs> and moreover, he made a plan of salvation for them before the world started because he knew that this would happen. But to, for the angels to sin, it was a different ballpark than when humans sin. And so their salvation was, if they made a mistake, is to repent and come back to him. But if they didn't, he was not going. He he didn't have a plan of salvation for the angels. Mm. He could not shed any blood for the angels. He could only shed blood for the creation uh, uh, of mankind that he put on the planet. I've read my Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Mm -hmm. I see no plan of salvation for the angels. Even in the antediluvian period, when the flood came, there was no salvation for the angels. He made a incarcerated them and put them in the bowels of the earth. And in the last days, he would burn them up. But there is no angels. And if you read in the Sefer Bible, the Sefer Bible talks about, they would, I think they were trying to get Noah or one of the patriarchs to pray to Elohim to try to save them. And Elohim said, no, I sent them down there to serve y'all. And they end up sinning. No, he said, I, he said, don't even pray for them because I'm not going to save them. Wow. Yeah, no, there is no plan of salvation for, for, for the, uh, for the angels as far as Yeshua dying for them and shedding his blood. They knew life; they didn't want life, so they have to have death. Do we know of how long uh, Satan was allowed to rebel in heaven? Uh, let me say, I don't know, and I don't, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it in the Bible unless it's subtly in there and I, I, and I haven't drawn it out. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long it was, but I do know this. I do know this, and this is a fact, mm -hmm. that from the time that Adam and Eve sinned up until now, we know that he's been patient with us. Can we think that he did any less with them? Yeah, true. Yeah. True. So I think what he demonstrates to us is what he demonstrates to them. True. So true. Well, with that, we will transition to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. This week in Let's Talk About It, I want to still continue on salvation. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, if you could turn with me into Matthew, the 15th chapter, verse 24, because I've heard... Uh, some of our fellow brethren have said that uh, Yahushua was sent only to save the 12 tribes. And so I kind of want to deal with that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 24. And it reads, but he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Yasharel, the house of Israel. So with that, Pastor, I want to ask, was uh, Yahushua, when he came here, did he come only to save Yasharel? Uh, well, let me put it this way. He did come to save Yasharel, but mm -hmm. not only them. Okay. You, you know, he did come for them because those were the people that he had nurtured up the ones that he had given his covenant to. There was no other nation on the planet 
that he had given his covenant to. And mm -hmm. he was coming to them, so if they received the covenant, then they could be able to spread, spread the covenant. Now, it's better to try to work with people who once had the covenant mm -hmm. than those who have never had the covenant because of the fact that if they didn't know the covenant, what, what would they teach? They didn't, they didn't know it. But if he come back to his own people, mm -hmm. then his own people, they can come back to the covenant they went away from. And then once they come back to the covenant, then they could reach out to the people who were not a part of Israel and to bring them. Okay, now let us look at Acts okay. chapter 1 and verse 8. Now I want to point out something here. Yes, he did say he come, but for the house of Israel. But that doesn't mean nobody else could be saved. Be, be saved, it only meant that as, as we uh, continue to uh, preach the gospel, that others would be brought. Now, here's what Acts 1.8 says. It said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, what is he saying here? If you read the book of Acts, you, you will find this. Elohim is saying that he wanted them to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were anticipating the coming of Pentecost. Mm. And Pentecost was, was on his way. But he told his disciples and those who were his followers, he said, I don't want you to go out yet. I want you to wait until you endue with the power or the promise of the Father, which is he's going to bestow upon you the Holy Spirit. But what I want you to notice in, in, in this verse is a protocol. What mm -hmm. is the protocol? The protocol is this. He said, once you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to be what? Witnesses. Mm, okay. And then he points out, your first witnesses, he says, unto me both in Jerusalem. Now, why would you uh, first witness in Jerusalem? Because that's where his people were. That's where his people were in Jerusalem. And then he says, you're going to go to Ju Judea. Mm -hmm. Okay, what was Judea? There was some more of his people because you had Israel and Judah and you had, had Judea. He's given them a pattern that I want you to go to my people first. That's like when I came here. I first went to my people, and now that I have ascended on high, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to go to my people first. Okay. Then you want to go to your brother Judah, and then you want to go to Samaria. Now, if you read in the book of Acts, you'll find that Philip, I believe he went to the Samaritans. Because remember when Yeshua was here, he, he dealt with the Samaritans too. Okay, but he, but he started with his people. Okay, and then uh, when you go to Samaria... Then he says, I want you to go to the uttermost part of the world. Mm -hmm. So going to the uttermost part of the world was simply saying, hey, you're going to be drawing your people, but you're also going to be drawing other people. Because when you go to the uttermost part of the world, you're going to also find your people, but there are going to be other people that want the salvation as well as you. So it's not limited. It's not limited mm -hmm. just to the, to the uh, Israelites. But it is focused on the Israelites that once he gets them, then they can take it to the world. Now, because one of the things I was thinking of, too, um, is that 
is Israel one of the keys to salvation? Because when I look at how everything was in place, he uh, the, mm-hmm. the first Exodus, when he brought our ancestors out of Egypt to show the world who he was and had we been living and doing the things of the covenant and keeping his word, we would have been that light and example. And I'm just wondering, as I read and study more into the second Exodus, mm-hmm. is that the reason why he's calling out to Yasharel again to be that example for the world? That that light was shine from they would see the light shining through us and even in which would they would end up seeing Yahuwah through it. Yeah, well, yes, that's 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 what he that's what he wants us to do mm-hmm. is to be those beacon lights again in order to draw the world unto him. Okay. Now when you now there are some texts and uh in the book of Revelation, chapter 7 and verse 4, speaks somewhat to what you're asking. Now, here in Revelation, uh, chapter 7 and verse 4, here's what it says. It said, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So even in the closing drama of earth, he's still saying, I'm, I'm looking at Israel. So there's an expectancy that Israel will rise to the challenge to do what he do what he says. Okay. Uh-huh. Now let's look at another ch- uh, verse in Revelation chapter 14. And here in Revelation chapter 14, we want to consider uh, verse number three. Now we've already looked at the 144,000 coming out of Israel. So he 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 has always had an eye on Israel. Israel has been the apple of his eye. Now here in 14:3 it says. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. Okay. Now, these same redeemed from the earth, who is that? That's nobody but Israel. Mm. That's, that's Israel. Okay. Now, and if you... And if you turn to Revelation chapter 22 and verses 12 and 14, notice what it says. In verse 12, it says, uh, let me see, Revelation 22, 12. Let me see. Uh, All right. Here, let me see. All right, let me see. All right. No, I meant Revelation 22. Uh, 21 12 yeah revelation 21 12 okay revelation 21 12 says this and he had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates were 12 angels and the names written thereon which are the names of the 12 tribes of is of the children of israel mm-hmm. see even in 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 the new city all of the gates had the names of the 12 tribes Wow. So that 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 meant that this man loved Israel. Elohim loved Israel. I mean, they inscribed on on, on the uh, on the gates of the city. And then he says this in verse fourteen. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And you know, most of the disciples of Yeshua they were Israelites. 
You remember when Nathaniel came up uh, to see Yeshua, and Yeshua said to Nathaniel, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no gal? Mm-hmm. Most of his disciples, not all of them were Israelites, but, but most of them, they were Israelites. So, yeah, he had a special thing for them, but in the last days, he's expecting that they would rise to the challenge of teaching the gospel to the world so that they can have a proper understanding of it and be able to prepare themselves to keep the covenant in order to get into his kingdom. And, you know, I wonder, is that too why we've been having an awakening amongst our people who are truly finding out who we truly are? Because it's interesting how those who call themselves um, Yahud from Judah, they're not, to me, doing the things that, and I I would say too, not even just them, even some people in our own ranks of, of our own people, it's like they keeping the message to themselves, but it seems like we're supposed to be taking the message to the world to point everything to Yahuwah. Mm-hmm. Not to say we have this, we're set apart people, but we should be trying to reach every single body, not just uh, not just Israel. Even though Israel is, a, like you were saying, a real good factor, a key in it, but we need to be reflecting of Yah's covenant. And I, and sometimes I don't see whether those who call themselves the true Jews and those who aren't or whatever the case may be. I just, sometimes I don't see that. Yeah. Well, you, you probably don't. And, and some of them, uh, they are on different uh, programs and being telecast. That's one way they are reaching out. Mm-hmm. And then some, they may not be reaching out. They expect, you know, people to come to them. That's, that's, an, that's, uh, that's a witnessing tool, too, mm-hmm. of having people to come to you. And then when they come, you can explain it to them. But in some instances, you got to go where the people are and, and then uh, create an interest. And as you create that interest, like when Yeshua went to the woman at the well, he was able to go to her and express salvation. And she was a Samaritan woman, even though he was still trying to get the uh, Israelites together. But in his process, he would not neglect any who reached out for salvation. Mm. So I would say that, yes, there are some things that need to be done, but each organization have to figure out uh, which way or which method are they going to use in bringing people to him? Mm. Mm. Okay. See, there's a, there's, a, there's a plethora of ways you can do it. Mm-hmm. Some people do it by uh, having telecasts, some do it on the radio, some do it maybe on YouTube, some do it maybe by writing, others do it by publications. And so with all of these avenues and flooding the people with tracks, and different things, somebody who may not be uh, uh, a f- you know fond of going going to a church or a synagogue, uh, they may want some private teachings, and there are people who may not care for private teachings, but they like public arenas where they can be preached to mm-hmm. in order to get salvation. So there are different methodologies 
that can be used. And as we use a plethora of these particular ways, then it may be one way that it may be more suitable for an individual than another way. So uh, let me ask this too then. Should Israel right now first be concerned with just trying to reach and return Israel back into the graces of Yah? Or should we right now be trying to reach everyone? Well, the, well, at this particular point, um, I don't, I don't know if, we, I don't, I don't know if we really know who Israel is. True. You know, uh, I think we got groups that call themselves Israelites and Black Hebrews and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the mere fact that they are putting the gospels and the covenants out there, it's suggested of the fact they are trying to draw, draw individuals. And in the drawing of them, they may draw some of the true people. And at the same time, uh, they may also draw people who aren't considered to be Hebrews because they may listen to them and say, oh, you know, this is a plan to me as well, even though I may not identify as a Hebrew. Mm -hmm. But like I said, initially is that when a group forms, then they would have to come together and say, what is the outreach that we want to do? Is it mainly the telecast and let people call in and then we try to assist them from there? Or will we go out on the streets and will we prophesy out on the streets and people walk by and they may want to come? Or do we want to send out tracks or do we want to uh, give invitations for them to come over to the places that we worship? I think the group has to and the group leaders would have to determine which way they're going to, you know, have an outreach. Because sometimes when things are real popular and everybody going bad, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about trying to get them. They just, the people will just come. Yeah. But stuff that people may not know and that they should have may not be so popular. So they don't come to your meeting like they would on something popular. So you may have to go go out and get those folk because uh, what you're doing is not a magnet to draw them. So you have to go get them. But sometimes... There are programs and things that people know that they say, hey, I got to go to that. But all programs are not that way. Okay. Um, So uh, next week we're going to be, today was the introductory of the science of the sacrifice. And so next week you'll be diving in a little bit deeper into part two of the science of the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we want y'all to tune in as we beginning this series of the science of the sacrifice. Um, it's going to be a very interesting series, and I look to learn a lot. So, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out this podcast for this week? Hello, Father, as we have embarked upon what we call sacroology and the study of the sacrifice, something long that you put in practice and design even before the world ever sin. Your mind was so comprehensive. Your love was so broad that you made a way that even when we went away from you and you drew us back through your son. And we thank you for that sacrifice. Now, Father, lift the burdens from our hearts and where there is despair, give us hope. And where we've been cast down, lift us up. Where life has been bitter, give us sweetness. And where we've been in darkness, give us light that we may be able to know 
that you are still with us, you're walking with us through the person of your Holy Spirit and the angels that assist us on a daily basis to be able to go through the difficult and dark days, O oh, Heavenly Father, that we are experiencing in this world. And as we go through the gloom of life, O oh, Heavenly Father, that you can give us the sunshine of hope. Bless each listener and bless my cast. Bless our families and bless our loved ones. And as we look to you, Lord, you may look to us and give us the things that we stand in need so that when we kneel down and pray and to look to you, we can give you the praise, the honor, and the glory, majesty, dominion, power, and all of for the wonderful blessings that you have blessed us with. Pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. So we want to remind you, we are live streaming every Shabbat at 3 p.m. now. Not 1 p.m., but 3 p.m. now. So be sure to tune in. Tell everybody you know about the Science of the Covenant podcast. Let them know. Email it. Text it. Uh, post it on social media. Whatever the case may be, let people know about the Science of the Covenant and all the teachings we have going on on our side of things. And if you have any questions or comments, if you're watching this after the live, uh, be sure to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com and we will get to your question or comment on the next podcast. That is our podcast for this week. And we are the Science of the Covenant. O ye seed of Yasharel, his servant, ye children of Yaakov, his chosen ones. He is Yahuwah Eleheinu. His judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful of always of his covenant in the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.